This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, the Gensler era SEC seem to have found a fascinating line for their SPAC attack using a conflict of interest approach. Are the cuts to Binance only a flesh wound? And Matt Chamberlain notes, je ne regret rien, in a week when the LSEG sets a technology and fintech listing record. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 103. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Didi Chushing is probably not something that was well known in the West until a couple of weeks ago. Of course, the man in the street knows little or nothing about the Chinese ride-hailing app, but in financial market circles, it's become quite a fascinating thing. Why did they choose the US over Hong Kong for their IPO? Why did they ignore the Chinese officials asking them to pull their IPO when it appeared they had significant issues over privacy issues, at least in terms of the way the Chinese government were viewing what was happening? The lawsuits, of course, came teeming in soon after, and Didi's share prices dipped below their offer price, but not before the ride-hailing app granted $3 billion in pre-IPO options to executives. With what amounted to a double whammy that was a US move, the major stock indices will remove more Chinese companies following an order by Joe Biden, suggesting that there's a certain sort of, well, what is it, anti-detente, I suppose, could be the word for it, where China lists its Chinese things and Hong Kong presumably reaps the rewards of the Americans pushing Chinese listings away, at the same time as indeed the Chinese government's offices seems to have had various people who were eager to try to remove the listings of the Chinese companies in the USA in the first place. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Bourse bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the Exchange of Information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me patrick at derivativesvision.com. Over in the Philippines, the bourse CEO there is hopeful that short selling will start this year. Optimism that corporate and tax regulators will reserve issues on borrowing and lending of securities to enable a short selling regime. Good news from Interactive Brokers. They've eliminated the monthly account inactivity fees for those who've got smaller, more modest balances with IBKR. The U.S. brokerage was arguing that its decision is aligned with industry standards. I don't regret the outcry from trying to ditch the ring, said the exchange boss of the London Metals market, 
That's Matt Chamberlain, the chief executive of the 144-year-old LME, which is home, of course, to the ring, the last pit of its kind in the city of London. JPX Group have said that their trading activities in Tokyo will continue as usual, despite the Tokyo lockdown, which is stopping spectators from attending the Olympics. It's not going to affect JPX trading, nor, I presume, is JPX trading going to be cancelled, although it seems some are rumouring that the Olympics themselves may be in danger. Fabulously heartwarming story this week from the Indian Stock Exchange BSE, formerly known as the more extended Bombay Stock Exchange. It's acted as a catalyst for investments and helped in the creation of, wait for it, US $3 trillion of wealth since it was set up in 1875. That was a comment made by the CEO during the course of its anniversary celebrations last July the 9th. Meanwhile, in the US, Reuters ran a fascinating exclusive. The SEC is focusing on bank fee conflicts as it steps up its SPAC inquiries. Suddenly, special purpose acquisition corporations could look a little bit wobbly. A spokesman for the SEC was not responding to requests for comments, but SPAC sponsors, Reuters note, typically pay banks a 5.5% fee for underwriting the IPO. The Gary Gensler SEC appears to be demonstrating an uncanny knack of applying acute finger pressure just at the point where maximum pain ensues. No pain whatsoever in the Channel Islands. There, the International Stock Exchange, what used to be known as the Channel Islands Stock Exchange, has set a spectacular new record with 500 plus new listings in the first half of 2020. Remember, last year they listed 831 stocks during the course of the year. That looks to be beaten quite significantly during the course of this year. What a stunning performance, bringing the total number of listed securities on the International Stock Exchange's official list to 3,431 by the close of business on the 30th of June 2021. Over in Brexit news, the Bank of England's supremo, Andrew Bailey, he sees deadlock with the European Union on City of London access to the Eurozone markets. Expect a lot more talk of global Britain in the future. In new markets this week, great news, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange has been granted a license to operate a central securities depository. Meanwhile, good news in the crowdfunding world in the Bahamas, with the official launch announcement of ArawakX, a new upstart which is taking on the Bahamas International Stock Exchange, BISX, who are hoping to get into crowdfunding at some stage during the course of 2021. Arawak are already there, and indeed, Arawak is expecting to expand its crowdfunding platform into its SME exchange platform, for which it's been licensed during the course of the next nine months. Deal news this week. Summertime, of course, Bastille Day in France, the 12th of July in Northern Ireland, much else besides in the wake of Independence Day in the US last week. Six, the Swiss exchange, they've acquired Ultimus from ETFS Capital. They're looking to strengthen their ETF and managed data service offering. That's an interesting acquisition as Six clearly sent the opportunity in the gradually rationalizing European Union ETF space. Or is it time to emulate ICE with their moves in the US ETF market, or indeed 
do six Swiss exchange have something alternative in mind? Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world today, if you're perhaps studying for the hot topic of this year, a PhD in understanding just what on earth you have to do in order to cross borders, you've always got the opportunity to brush up and you're reading Victory or Death, Blockchain Cryptocurrency in the Fintech World is, in my opinion, of course, I wrote it, an excellent read during lockdown, post-lockdown, or whatever we're going to call this current complete and utter unseemly mess of near-zero travel without hassle. 20 years on from the excitement of the original fintech bestseller Capital Market Revolution, it's time to look at some of those loose strands hanging around which need a spot of perspective whether you're an exchange parishioner, a fintech professional, or anybody just trying to stay abreast of where technology is now driving investments in finance. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Meanwhile, we had a spectacular end-of-season IPO vid livestream this week with Dr. Robert Barnes, who coincidentally is the first ever paying subscriber to the Exchange Invest newsletter. Robert was discussing all sorts of issues from his fascinating position as the chief executive of Turquoise, the London Stock Exchange's group's fascinating MTF platform, which operates across the European sphere. No bad idea to go back and check out a listen to that. And while you're waiting for IPOVID livestream to return on September the 14th, don't forget to go to youtube.com IPO-vid and you can look up our 37 fascinating back issues of the IPOVID livestream covering all manner of exciting topics. Over in crypto land, well, perhaps headline of the week, lol, was Binance. We got a few things wrong, but we're working on it, which was recorded in City AM. Beleaguered Binance boss Changpeng Zhao, better known as CZ, has confessed the organization hasn't got everything right over the last four years as he was responding to a raft of criticism and clamped down from regulators. An exchange which is of no fixed abode is, in my humble opinion, a much more fundamental problem than what appears to be here, an attempt to brush off a swathe of regulators clamping down or banning Binance on their territories. In this sense, the Binance boom was being talked about by some as crypto trading unfolded beyond the nation-state's reach. At the same time, I had to add to the Exchange Invest newsletter pith this week, the phrase invitation to wear an orange jumpsuit was springing to mind when I read that headline. All extraterritorial trading somehow interacts with regulated onshore sooner or later, and even with the ineffectual Biden White House, my money is on the Feds intervening where they perceive their interests threatened. And indeed, Elizabeth Warren has been warning that crypto scams will continue to surge on exchanges and is desperately eager to see SEC regulation. Meanwhile, Binance, as part of their attempt to fight back from their recent clampdowns, have announced that they're going to double their compliance staff. At the same point, Santander blocked payments by UK banking customers to Binance. And indeed, China blocked access to Binance.com in order to curb Bitcoin trading. It wasn't unilateral, though. They locked covers servers in Beijing, Shenzhen and provinces like Heilongjiang. Exchanges such as Huobi, Bitfinex, KuCoin, BitThumb and Bitstamp were also being blocked alongside Binance. Of course, that led to headlines in the CryptoKitty press such as Binance still can't catch a break despite compliance efforts theatrics. Now, some readers might remark that it was quite easy to foresee that Binance would reach a particular denouement. 
Others might comment that the settlement of this, well, how can one put it politely, detritus van repo is far from settled. At the same time, it's quite interesting to hear even the crypto media starting to make some rather cynical comments about what's going on in the crypto world. Our last comment for the week on crypto and in particular Binance. Well, there was an epic headline from Bloomberg. Crypto exchanges have a plan to beat Binance, play by the rules. In other words, a great example of Young's first rule of exchange innovation. At all costs, eliminate orange jumpsuit risk. More to come from the Binance story, no doubt, as cryptocurrency traders around the world have been struggling to sue the Binance organization. Due process is, of course, tricky when, as I have experienced, a friendly conversation opener at a cocktail reception, so where are you based, was hastily rebuffed by a senior Binance staffer in 2019 with the rather tart statement, we're not allowed to reveal our office locations. Hmm... Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Product news this week. Fabulous listing in London. The London Stock Exchange Group celebrated as WISE, formerly TransferWISE. They're a titan of quality service, quality processing in the payment service provider business. Listed through a direct public offering, and they're already covering something like 85% of the world's bank accounts. Altogether, therefore, perhaps unsurprising that they came in with an more than £8 billion market capitalization which makes for $11 billion, not $8 billion, as I might have mentioned erroneously last week on this podcast. Meanwhile, there's been a big shock. Aggrieved investors were in court in India last week after India's MCX, the multi-commodity exchange, had pegged their oil contracts in the negative. The MCX has cheated us, were the strong words as tempers flared concerning the Indian branch of the Cushing crisis impact stemming from CME's problems with their West Texas intermediate markets, which were also licensed in Indian rupees onto the MTX. Meanwhile, the CME, they launched micro West Texas intermediate futures on July the 12th and were eager, as we were recording this podcast, to beat their chests and note they'd already traded 50,000 contracts within a couple of days. The CME clearly have a firm eye on the micro. My concern remains, CME don't seem to be focusing on, well, the macro. Over in India once again, Gift City, that's the international financial centre that's been built in Gujarat, it's regarded as being potentially the hub for internationalisation of the Indian rupee, according to the chairman of the IFSCA. Rather more worrying though in product news, fractured LIBOR transition halts US structured rates switch. And that came from the esteemed folks of Risk. Technology news this week. Avenir, they've suddenly jumped from the back office into the front. They're looking to develop the trading platform for the International Stock Exchange. Those folks with their 500 listings in six months. That's going to help the specialist venue drive transaction volumes. Registry commodity warehouse vendor Avenir moving to the trading era is exciting news. Perhaps it's unsurprising that their marquee customer is going to be the International Stock Exchange, given that Avenir co-founder Stuart Turner has been on the board of the Channel Islands Stock Exchange and now the International Securities Exchange 
for many years, even though he's in the process of retiring from Avenir day to day. Regulation news this week. The DTCC of America, their derivatives repository, was fined a rather swinging $500,000, well, to be precise, 408,000 euros for data breaches for Emir. And elsewhere, the Bank of England, they say they're going to crack down on secretive cloud computing services, noting that they're not happy with some of the processes that are going on around Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, to name but three. This was the week where News from Inc.com pointed out that female startup CEOs cut their salaries 30% during the pandemic, while men gave themselves a rise. And at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, ENO was launched. Not the English National Opera that's been around for many years, but rather ENO, a dedicated digital token for the wine industry. Frankly, I think I'll drink to that. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. Join me Monday through Saturday for the water cooler of the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the only unique daily newsletter about the stock exchange, commodity exchange, crypto exchange, and indeed every kind of exchange business. Once again, my name is Patrick L. Young. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great week in life and markets. I'll be back next week with the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 104. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.